Welcome to the podcast channel of the East Bay Unity Intergroup of Overeaters Anonymous. The opinions expressed here are those of individual members and do not represent OA as a whole. For more information about our intergroup, please visit our website at eastbayoa.org. So hi, I'm Emma, compulsive overeater. Um, grateful to be here. I faced a little bit of a dilemma coming into the share because I feel like I've shared at this meeting before and a lot of people here have heard my story and frankly, I'm a little bored of my story, but um, so I'll be doing a mix of what had happened, whoa, what it was like, what happened, what it's like now, and also just talking a little more about what, how I'm working in my program today. Um, but I do think it's important for me to qualify and talk about what it was like because um, I don't know, for me, it turns out, I don't want to hear a single thing about recovery from someone who doesn't identify. Like to this day, I still find it like hard to listen to, um, I don't know, therapists or doctors. Like I have a hard time with it. I really want to hear recovery from people who are also recovering. And when I was new, I just wanted to hear that other people had done what I did with food and that they were okay. Um, and talking about it in front of a crowd. So, um, what it was like, I remember compulsively overeating and um, from a really young age. I remember specifically stealing sugary items very young um, and just sort of being, it seemed like from, I deduced pretty quickly that I was more interested in those items than, than other people. I remember I had uh, a best friend growing up whose parents were always trying to get him to gain weight and he like wouldn't eat. And that was, it, it just like was clear to me that that was not, that was not my issue um, when I was younger. I also had, you know, um, a family with a lot of alcoholism and compulsive overeating and a lot of other things going on. And I remember just having a lot of confusion and a lot of fear growing up and um, not a lot of adults who could explain it to me in my life. And so uh, food was really comforting. Food worked for a long time. And I think that's important for me to remember is like, we, I wouldn't have used food if it didn't work. And, um, and then it came to a point where it very much stopped working and was not fun. Recently, I heard someone say like, um, someone who was new to the program or trying it out was like, well, does that mean you can't have fun, fun with food ever again? And I was like, I just think about it. I was like, I was so far from having fun with the food. When I came in, I was really miserable. If I was having fun with food, I would not be here. Um, I would not describe what was going on as fun. Um, so yeah, I think um, as I grew older, uh, dieting and restricting and um, some like purging behaviors came up, um, just body obsession also came up. Um, and my weight, my weight yo-yoed a lot and just regardless of whether I was, uh, binging or starving food took up way more my brain power than I even wanted it to. Um, <laughs> I remember one time in my starving days, I was, I was like a working at a front desk of some, some random job and they used a cookie tin as like the pencil holder. I remember staring at the pictures of cookies. There's pens in the box, but the pictures of them and just like obsessing over the pictures on this like old tin and just like realizing that like, I mean, I think when you like starve yourself, like it just like becomes 
it becomes an obsession um, beyond the point of reason and for me. And um, I also like through this obsession of food did not develop, um, I was so busy obsessing about this that I did not develop a lot of good relationships with myself and others. I just did not have the time or capacity to do that. Um, and so I came into program in a time in my life where I had like resentment quit one job and then ended up in a job that like was scamming people and kind of illegal. And then I had to quit that. It was just a very chaotic time in my life. I was unemployed. I was miserable. I had friends, but I like, wasn't sure if I actually liked them or not. And I was lying to a lot of people in my life and very uncomfortable. And I came to an OA meeting and I was expecting to just like pop in. Um, there was a newcomers meeting. Um, I was sort of expecting this in the back. I thought people would think it was weird that I was there. I don't know why I thought that. Um, I, my brother had gotten sober in AA, AA about a year before I came in, or actually like 10 months before I came in. No, that's not true, a year. Um, and uh, so I sort of knew about the 12 steps and I just wanted to check it out. Um, and I was in a very, um, take what you like and leave the rest attitude. I think I expected everyone to be nuts. And um, I, thank you. And I thought the God thing was sort of odd, but um, it was free and that was, and that was a real appeal and it met nearby. And um, I knew that if I sat in OA meeting for an hour, I wouldn't eat. And that really appealed. And um, two things happened at my first meeting. First of all, the newcomer greeter asked me directly, oh, what brings you to OA? And I just like, couldn't believe she would just like ask me that question, which it's a very reasonable question. And I'm glad she did. But I was like, I'm going to tell someone about my food stuff for like the first time in my life. And um, that felt like a really big deal. And that was very exciting. Um, and then um, I heard a speaker who had almost nothing in common with me. Um, he was a guy, he only done, did the binge eating, not the like restricting and stuff. And like, he just had a whole life story that was totally different from mine. And I completely related. Uh, and that felt pretty big as well. And so, um, yeah, I wasn't willing to jump in right away. I wasn't like, I came to my first meeting and was like, okay, I'm getting a sponsor. I'm getting absent and figuring it out. It was a little slower than that. Uh, I went to a bunch of meetings just to check them out. Um, but I noticed that people seemed happy to be there, which I was expecting everyone to like slink into an OA meeting, all embarrassed. Like, I don't know, I just had this way of, um, I, it was different than what I expected that you, we were all people who were enjoying life. Um, and I do miss that part about in-person meetings is the, the fellowship before and after. Um, so what it's been like, um, my life is very, very different now. Um, I've changed careers. Uh, I had an early abstinence, a job for um, three years that I got to leave without, without resentment. And um, I got to be seen as like an honest employee, which, you know, is interesting. Um, I now have a relationship that's really um, suits me well and is, um, really wonderful. Um, and I haven't had to binge in four and a half years ish. I'd have to do the math since 
January of 2017. Um, and I, uh, my abstinence is three meals a day, no recreational sugar because uh, I can't eat sugar without binging and um, no like crash dieting or skipping meals. Um, and so like in order to do that, I have a food plan that's like a little more detailed around like I typically eat vegetables and just like, you know, stuff uh, that works to keep me from uh, having to binge or eat sugar or things like that. Um, so food plan's a tool for me. Um, yeah, so before I got into OA, I did not feel like I belonged anywhere. Actually in college, people like, it was sort of a joke that people would call me like a robot or an alien. Um, because I just felt like I did not emotionally work like other people. And um, I always felt like when people would talk about emotional stuff that I, I was missing something. Um, I was not experiencing things the way other people were. And when I got to OA, I got to put down the food, which was keeping me from feeling some feelings and like really experience what was going on for me. And I got to learn about this, this whole feelings thing, which I was not, particularly thrilled by um <laughs> but it's uh so much better than the alternative and uh, I got to learn tools for dealing with feelings and um through that not only do I feel like I belong in OA meetings which I do and I'm so grateful for this fellowship like through learning how to feel like I belong here I also got to learn how to feel like I belong other places um including like feeling like I belong in my relationship feeling i like um, building friendships that are very meaningful, um, figuring out what my career should look like. Uh, these are all things that I just couldn't do when um, I was obsessing about food, feeling like an alien and distant from other people and myself. Um, and that is all a gift of the 12 steps. Um, what else did I want to say? Oh, so I wanted to transition to what I've been thinking a lot about lately, which is criticizing myself and others, comparing myself to other people and sort of like envy and jealousy. And when that comes up in my life, um, I feel like those are not fun and cute things to talk about um, when we feel envious of other people or when we're comparing ourselves to other. Thank you, Lori. Is that end of time or second five? Thank you. Um, so I wanted to read this for today that I found. Um, the fault finder will always find faults even in paradise. Henry David Thoreau. This is from February 21st. Do I recognize myself in that bleak portrait? Finding faults is a habit like having to be right or telling people what to do. It's impossible to find fault even, um, even if the object of my displeasure were to become the exact opposite of what it is. As a fault finder, I can be on the offensive and no one has to chance to criticize me. Finding faults is easy. A child can do it, particularly a tired, cross, frustrated child. Chronic fault finding is a flaw in my own makeup and has nothing to do with people and things outside of myself. It is a habit that needs the scrutiny of a personal inventory and a good step five airing. For today, growth in, OA, in the OA program allows me to see with new eyes Feeling good about myself makes me less critical of myself and others. Um, that last sentence really stood out to me that feeling good about myself makes me less critical of myself and others. Uh, and that was really true for me that through the 12 steps, I mean, someone once told me like, 
I don't know if I fully 100% agree with this. Well, maybe I do. Um, but she was like, the whole point of the 12 steps is to feel good enough about yourself. And I was like, hmm, yeah, I mean, making amends, like making um, an inventory, like in the end, we get to build some self-esteem uh, and um, and true humility. And yeah, I just feel like this thing about criticizing and comparing myself, like it's inherent in, for me, it was inherent in my disordered eating that, and this is like something I'm embarrassed to share, but like, you know, just constantly playing that game in my head before recovery of like, who's skinnier than me, who's fatter than me, like that was a part of, part of how my disease manifested and constantly feeling like I was either the worst person in the room or the best. And, um, at when I put down the food, a lot of that slowly dissipated, but recently I found, I was starting to have this theory that everyone had gotten just a little more annoying during quarantine, that somehow everyone else had just gotten a little weirder in a quarantine and were therefore more annoying. And then I had to think like, hmm, did everyone or did I? <laughs> and um, there is something about the way this can come back up for me around um, when I am not feeling good about myself, I can absolutely lash out other people. And um, it exhausts me <laughs> and um, I have to turn, I have to turn to a higher power in those moments um, because and I'm not really sure what a higher power is for me. I think a lot about nature. I think a lot about how big the universe is and how small I am, you know, those abstract things. And um, what else did I want to say about that? Um, I, when I am not comparing myself to others, when I feel like I'm just in my own lane, I can be of much more service. Um, it took me a long time to figure that out, that we don't all have to be good at everything, but I can just be good at some things and bad at another. Like when it, I never played sports, but when a coach puts a team together, he doesn't look for like, he looks, they, she, whatever. Uh, she looks for, you know, some players who are good at this thing and some players that are good for that thing. And that makes a cohesive team. Um, and that's how I can be. I can be bad at good at some things and good at other things. I thought I had to be either the best at everything or I was the worst. And um, I felt bad at myself when I was bad about myself. Anytime I was not good at something immediately or, um, anytime I couldn't figure something out first or whatever it was. Um, and I'm really just like grateful to be one amongst many uh, here in this room and just be another bozo on the bus. Um, yeah, cause I, I definitely don't have this all figured out. And uh, yeah, um, I guess I'll just share that I am, going to go see my mom in a couple of days. And that is a relationship where I love to find fault and criticize and just be like on edge. And I'm really grateful that I'm getting to share this meeting and do some service before that happens. Um, Cause that is still, you know, a hard relationship. And 
uh, I have slowly learned that I can just like let my mom do her thing and not react to it and not try to correct myself or others or try to be different than I am or have her be different than someone else. Thank you, Lori, for the time. I will wrap up there. Thanks.